Hey guys, it's Daniela Gibbs-Leger and welcome to the last episode of Thinking Cap. Before we get to that, I want to talk about two things that are happening in the news right now. And you may notice that A, I have a cold. This is true. Very sad. And B, it's just me again because Ed is off gallivanting. Um, I have to talk about Brexit and what's happening in the UK. And all I'm going to say is that I don't understand what's happening. So if anybody knows, can, can give me an explainer. I was literally watching TV where the experts were like, I don't exactly know what's happening right now. So I felt a little bit better, to be honest. Um, but it, it seems not great, chaotic, and I, I wish the best for them because what happens there has huge ramifications for not just the citizens, but the rest of the world, because we are in a global economy. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is is Hurricane Dorian, uh, which hits close to home um, as I am a, a child of the islands. And just looking at the devastation that's been happening in the Bahamas has been breaking my heart. And I think we're going to see things just get worse over the next couple of days. Um, my family is, is from St. Martin and Anguilla. And two years ago, they were devastated by Hurricane Irma. I was just home visiting with them and talking to my parents and my friends. And one of the things that they said was for all of the awfulness that Irma brought them, and it, it brought a lot, uh, and they're all still suffering from PTSD. They said the one good grace was that Irma was a fast-moving storm and that if Irma had sat like other storms in the past, that they were convinced they'd all be dead. And when you look at Dorian, Dorian is a slow-moving Irma. Uh, and I just, I hope and I pray for the people of the Bahamas. I, I hope that our government steps up to the plate and offers assistance. Uh, I know that the people in this country will offer assistance because that's what we do, because we are generally uh, good and kind-hearted when it comes to things like that. Uh, I just encourage everyone to listen to what the people on the ground are saying that they need, um, because it's not clothing in the immediate. Usually it is money so that they can buy the actual supplies that they need. Um, but again, my, my prayers are with them, and we have got to start having serious, real conversations about climate change. I know some people are going to say, now's not the time to talk about it, but much as with the latest mass shooting, when is the appropriate time to talk about, in that instance, gun control? When is the appropriate time to talk about climate change? It's now. It's every day. It's constant. It is an existential threat to the lives of millions of people who live in low-lying areas and who live in islands like my family. And if we don't start talking about and doing something now, um, we're going to see more storms like this. We're going to see more extreme weather events. And we're going to see more and more communities not equipped to deal with the ramifications because it was never the quote-unquote right time to talk about it. So I want to get back to what I mentioned at the top, that this is the last episode of Thinking Cap. We've been teasing this for a few weeks, but we have finally reached the conclusion of this incredible journey. Um, I want to take a moment to thank all of the people who helped put this project together over the last two plus years. And I have to start with Sally Tucker, who pitched the concept to us. And when we were like, ah, kept pushing and kept pitching uh, and, and got us to, you know, to start and for producing the pod for a year. 
um, to our original OG hosts, uh, Michelle Jawando and Igor Volsky, for leaving very big shoes uh, for us to fill uh, and, and just filling this radio studio with their wit and charm and laughter. Uh, to Rachel Rosen, who was our supervising producer for two years, uh, to our recently departed, not from this earth, just from this building, <laughs> Kyle Epstein, who took over production in season two. Uh, to my co-host, Ed Chung, who, as I said, is off gallivanting. Uh, and to Chris Ford, our current producer, who has kept us informed and up to date on the news and with our guests Ed and I and Chris won't be disappearing. You can catch us on our new podcast, The Tent, which will premiere on Thursday, September 12th. We'll be talking about all things politics, policy, and progress each week as we chronicle the antics going on in Washington. Oh, and there are so, so many antics. So be sure to follow The Tent on Twitter, at The Tent Pod. Again, that's at The Tent Pod. And listen to us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you aren't already, and really, why aren't you? You should follow me on Twitter because I am hilarious at dgibber123 and Ed, who's less hilarious, but you should follow him too, at DC. So for our final episode, we will be revisiting a conversation that we had with Ask Me President Lee Saunders about the labor movement in America and how unions have been faring in the U.S. since Donald Trump's election. Spoiler alert, not great. I hope you enjoy it. Lee Saunders, thank you for joining us on Thinking Cap. Thank you for having me. I am particularly excited to have you in studio today because I am the proud daughter of two union parents. Uh, yay! And, you know, I grew up thinking uh, that the world was one way, and then I went to college and I was like, wait a minute, you guys didn't have all these awesome benefits of having a parent in a union? Um, so I, again, I'm just really happy that you're, you're here to join us. And I want to start by asking a basic question, you know, what is the value of union membership? Why is it important? And and more particularly, I want to dive into the connection between unions and civil rights and how, especially for African-American community, it really helped uh, lift up the community. Well, it, uh, unions provide a uh, working families a seat at the table uh, where you have the opportunity uh, to negotiate uh, for better wages, better benefits, working conditions. Uh, you have an opportunity to uh, be tr being treated as an equal uh, and uh, not being taken advantage of. Uh, so there's no question uh, of the benefits of union membership, not even for union members, but also for workers who aren't in unions because unions raise all boats. Mm -hmm. uh, and we provide support and help uh, based upon what we do for our members, those no, non-members sometimes receive the benefits of uh, increasing wages, of increasing benefits. We're also a, a checks and balances in this system where, uh, you know, workers uh, are represented uh, in a collective fashion uh, against uh, folks who sometimes are trying to take their rights away from them. Uh, folks who have a lot of power and a lot of wealth and they want more power and wealth at the expense of working families. And we stand in their way. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that we're under attack uh, uh, right now. And uh, that's one of the reasons that um, uh, people, I think, understand the value of unions. I mean, if you look at the Gallup poll, the recent Gallup poll, 62% of Americans believe that there is a value mm -hmm. in the labor movement because they believe that there is a checks and balances and, and folks can't be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. 
we're now into month two of the Trump shutdown, which is affecting 800,000 federal employees throughout the country, and they're poised to now miss their second paycheck. This is incredibly devastating on a lot of people. And so from what you've heard, how has this affected the daily lives of uh, members of your unions? Well, it really does have a, have an impact on those federal workers who are uh, trying to play by the rules every single day. They believe in public service. They believe in the importance of public service. They are committed to public service, yet uh, they're being treated like second-class citizens. I mean, uh, to shut down a government over policy uh, when you're hurting so many workers and their families and their communities because this has a domino effect, uh, it's, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And you talk to the folks who are being affected, to those workers, to those federal workers who are still going to work but not receiving a paycheck. Mm -hmm. uh, they can't even afford gasoline to drive their cars to work now. They can't afford to put food on the table. They're going to, uh, to the different community organizations to, to get food. Uh, they can't afford to pay their mortgages. And for them to be in this crossfire that is taking place right now is just unbelievable to me. And that's we're a better country than, than that. And we've got to, I believe, make our voices heard uh, whether you're a federal employee or not, uh, all working people need to make their voices heard and people who believe that this is just insane and it has to stop. Uh, and uh, uh, we've got to put pressure on both the president uh, and, uh, and, the, and the Congress, the Senate and the House, uh, to get this resolved. Uh, it's taken much too long and too many people are suffering. And we're going to edit and post the question and not talking about your membership, but the membership of federal employees there. Because I mean, we actually, you, do we you actually have members uh, in the federal really? service okay. at the uh, Department of Justice, Library, uh, uh, Library of Congress uh, and the FAA. OK, so have you seen a similar type of situation happening in you know, state and local governments as well? Or is this kind of something that's unique in terms of a shutdown? Or well, this is this is unique. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, yeah. uh, a, a shutdown. It's. Uh, that uh, happens, unfortunately, at the, uh, at the federal level. Um, but the attitude that exists, the attitude that, well, these folks aren't going to get hurt. I mean, you know, they understand. Uh, you're talking about bread and butter issues. You're talking about people trying to put food on the table. Obviously, people are hurting because of this action. And that's the mentality that you have in this country right now with some people who believe that uh, workers have no value. And that's one of the things that unions always stand up for, workers and workers' rights. And we're going to continue to do that. What, one of the uh, attacks on unions generally, or the distinctions that people try to make, is the distinction between the value of a private sector union and public sector unions, where some argue that public sector unions have some built-in protections through either representation or, or other types of things, other types of mechanisms. C can you address that a little bit to talk about why public sector unions are specifically needed at this time? Well, let me say this, that uh, the people who want to destroy the trade union movement, um, they plan, they strategize on how to do it. Um, they have weakened the private sector. Right now, the private sector is only like 6.4% Organized. A lot of that is due to the changing economy, but also the difficulty in organizing workers and the, uh, the resistance, the planned resistance by the employer to keep the union out of the company in the private sector. Um, in the public sector, we represent approximately 35 percent 
of, uh, of the workforce. So we're a lot higher. And that's why we've got a bullseye on our backs right now, because if they destroy the public sector, they're essentially destroying the union movement with the low percentage in the private sector. Now, we have a responsibility in the public sector, and that is that we've got to promote organizing in the private sector. We've got to support uh, those unions in the private sector who are organizing. Uh, but we are also under attack. Um, last year, the Supreme Court uh, got into into the action by passing uh, uh, or supporting what we call Janus versus AFSCME Council 31, which essentially makes the entire public sector right to work in this country. Um, their whole concept and idea was to take us out of the ball game. They wanted to destroy us by uh, making uh, union representation completely voluntary, yet receiving the same level of benefits whether you're a union member or not. Um, we uh, engaged within AFSCME and a number of other unions representing public sector workers engaged in really uh, re-engaging our members uh, developing programs and plans to talk with our members, we developed a plan called AFSCME Strong, where we decided we were going back to basics. We weren't going to rely completely on social media, on Facebook, on iPhones and iPads and those kind, Twitter and those kinds of things. We wanted to go back to basics, talking with our members, looking them dead in the eye and listening to what they have to say. Uh, we set a goal of talking to one million of our members individually. Wow. our affiliates and the National Union, and we reached that goal. And that prepared us for the attacks uh, that we are under right now. When Janice became the law of the land, you had a lot of folks that thought that was going to be our death knell. And it wasn't because we prepared. And as a matter of fact, it energized. It actually energized our people, where I believe that we're a stronger union for it. Did we lose some folks? Yeah, we lost people that really never wanted to belong to a union before that were paying fees, so they just set, dropped and said, we aren't going to do anything. But we've actually able, been able to increase our members by a seven-to-one margin, okay, for those who want to sign up rather than those wanting to drop out. Uh, and we're going to continue to do that kind of program, and it energizes. It energizes our, our members. They understand the attacks that they're under, uh, and they're, they're ready to make their voices heard, and they're fighting back like never before. We just took through the next like four questions that I had, including <laughs> explaining to our listeners exactly what happened uh, with Janice. So, so thank you for that. I want to talk a little bit about you know the right to work movement and and where you see where is that now post Janice. Oh, that's the the attacks will will not stop. Uh, as I said, the public sector is entirely right to work now. One time they had to go state by state, mm -hmm. but because of the Supreme Court decision, uh, every state is uh, right to work as far as the public sector is concerned. But they will still attack private sector unions and go state by state as far as trying to uh, push right-to-work laws. Um, you know, who would have thought that Michigan would have become a right-to-work state? Right. But it did, based upon the governor and the actions of the legislature. Um, and so we still continue to have that threat. We still have a, uh, continue to have the threat of them coming after us, even though uh, they weren't successful in hurting us the way that they thought they were going to hurt us with Janus, uh, they're still going to come after collective bargaining for public sector workers. They're going to come after paycheck uh, uh, um, uh, when we, you know, get our dues from an automatic paycheck deduction. Uh, they're going to come after us from for a variety of different reasons and a variety of different kinds of ways. And we've just got to be prepared for it. And that's why we're continuing this effort that we have under AFSCME Strong to continue to talk to our folks uh, and uh, continue to internal. Uh, organized internally so our people are prepared for it. 
with the change in some governorships and some state legislatures in 2018, do you see a role that maybe a more progressive governor can play in, oh, in reversing some of those? There's absolutely no question. I mean, we were able to flip some governor seats. Um, two individuals of note uh, who are no longer governors, Scott Walker, mm. uh, who started, one of the governors who started the attack on public sector workers, and a guy named Bruce Rauner, who was the uh, governor in Illinois, who uh, I believe went to bed at night and woke up every morning thinking about how he was going to destroy <laughs> our union, and he was not successful. So he should be a miserable guy right now. <laughs> uh, at least I hope he is. Um, but no, uh, we have friendly governors and friendly legislatures, and we have more now based upon the November 6th election uh, last year, where they want to work with us. And they understand the importance of having a seat at the table. They understand what being in a union means, and they support it. So they're giving us, through either legislative action or uh, executive order, more access to the work site so we can talk uh, with members and potential members to listen to them. Uh, with new orientation programs, they're giving us access so when folks are hired, we can sit down and talk to them about the gains that the union has made. The benefits just didn't drop out of the sky. Uh, it was made through blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of commitment and dedication by previous union members. And when you talk to folks and have the opportunity to share that experience, they'll sign a card because they get it. And uh, the governors get it. State legislatures uh, uh, understand it, our, our friends. They understand that if you hurt the labor movement, uh, you're hurting the growth of our communities, you're hurting them, okay, and you're hurting moving this country forward. Uh, most recently, uh, there's been uh, a resolution now in California and Los Angeles of the teachers' union strike. Where there's a reported resolution of that. But it, on top of that, there have been issues with teachers and um, you know class sizes, pay, all of that through, uh, happening in states across the country. What are some of the things that you're hearing about from, from your membership that are who are teachers and the, the hurdles that they're facing and the things that they're fighting for? Well, people are engaged. I think that um, people really understand the importance of collective action. They understand that they can't get everything that they need through an individual basis, but you've got to do it collectively. Uh, so you see it. You see it in the, uh, not only the strike in Los Angeles, which was settled over the weekend, but you see it where there were strikes, where educators went on strike in some of the reddest of states mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. across the country because they were not only fed up with the low pay and the cuts in benefits, but they were also making their voices heard in support of public education and in support of those students. And they were saying that enough is enough, and we've got to make our voices heard. You have this happening, I believe, um, in other segments of our society, uh, where you have the women's marches. Mm -hmm. You have students coming out saying that our lives matter and enough is enough. Do something about gun violence. You have it with the teacher strikes. You have it with our own strikes. We had a strike in, uh, in, uh, in, at the University of California, Local 3299, representing mostly minority workers and women uh, who are being taken advantage of by one of the richest universities in this country, supposedly one of the most progressive universities in this country, yet they're taking advantage of their workers. And people are saying, that's not right. And we've got to stand up. And so you see this movement that's taking place. And our, the trick is to, to connect the dots mm -hmm. with these movements so people understand that we're fighting for the same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then make your voices heard, whether it's on the, in the streets 
or whether it's during the political process. And how do you feel that things are going in terms of um, youth engagement with unions? You know, anecdotally, you know, we have two unions here at CAP, and I think they're both led by, you know, our more younger members of our staff. And so from my standpoint, it seems like, okay, it's great. Young people are engaged or involved. Is that something that you're seeing across the country? Oh, no, there's no question. I think young people understand the value of unions. I think that uh, they bring a different kind of perspective. Uh, I call myself seasoned, okay? <laughs> um, what does that uh, make, Ed and I? <laughs> slight seasoning. Slight, slightly slight seasoning. seasoning. Sprinkle Just of salt. salt but you, you've, got to, you've got to listen to the, to the young people that, uh, uh, that want to do the right thing, but they may have different approaches in doing it, and that's fine. That's okay. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, understanding the movement is all about, and that's what moving forward is all about. So uh, we welcome young people coming on board. We welcome young people uh, running for office, becoming staff uh, for our union, just as long as they leave my position alone for a little <laughs> bit longer. I'm okay. Okay. But uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very important. I don't know if I said this earlier, but 62% of the American public believe that we need strong unions in this country. And that is a major change over the past five or six years. People get it. They understand it. And young people are going to be a force behind that. You said something earlier about also the composition of unions uh, being affected by the changing job markets and the changing um, just labor markets, what's available. Can you expound on a little bit more about that, why um, the different types of jobs that are now coming into the economy are affecting union membership? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, we are not a, an industrial society mm. anymore. Uh, that has a direct impact on... Uh, number one, the private sector unions, but it also has an impact on our communities. I grew up mm. in Cleveland, Ohio. When I was growing up uh, in an African-American family, the way that you were able to move into the middle class, for the most part, you were in three occupations in Cleveland, Ohio to, for African-American families to move into the middle class. You either work for the post office, you work for the steel or rubber mills, right in Cleveland or right outside of Cleveland, or you work for the transit system in Cleveland, mm. a bus driver. My dad was a bus driver. Mm. He was a proud member of the Amalgamated Transit Union. He always taught me that if you have an opportunity to join a union or to form a union, you should do it because that is the benefit. You get a benefit from that and in moving into the middle class and being able to provide for your families. And that has, um, uh, it's a telling story for uh, African-American families and families of color, because in the public sector especially, that is one of the ways in which African-American families, families of color have been able to move into the middle, into the middle class. That's the way that my family, uh, because of my father being um, uh, an active ATU member, Amalgamated Transit Union member, he was a steward, he was active when he was a retiree. I mean, he believed that there was strength in numbers. And, uh, uh, and we've got to get back to that. And uh, but we've got to connect the dots in a way where we have to listen to what our young people have to say because they may not connect directly with that, yeah. but they understand the value. And it's about, you know, connecting and listening to what they have to say so we can connect those dots. Yeah, I just have to say, my dad worked for the MTA in New York, and so he was uh, the Transit sure. Workers Union. Sure. Yeah, so, oh, it's got a little warm feel. Have something in common. <laughs> yeah. How did you come up, in, I mean, what, what jobs did you have grow, uh, getting, you know, in your profession, getting to the position that you're at? Well, I grew up in Ohio. I went to uh, Ohio University for undergraduate and Ohio State for graduate school as, uh, when I graduated from Ohio State. The Ohio. I was, I was waiting for that. Um, I was a state worker uh, in Ohio. I worked for the Bureau of Employment Services. At that time, uh, state 
workers or local government workers in Ohio did not have collective bargaining rights because in the public sector, we aren't covered under the National Labor Relations Act. So you've got to have legislation that's passed state by state by state by state. Mm -hmm. um, yet, uh, because there was union representation, even though we didn't have bargaining rights, you could have representation rights, uh, I immediately joined uh, the Ohio Civil Service Employees Association, which was an independent organization that uh, later on ended up affiliating with and merging with AFSCME. Um, from there, I worked for the state for three years, and then I moved to Washington, D.C., and started working at the National Union. Mm -hmm. And I uh, really moved up through the ranks. I started in research and collective bargaining. I uh, really have worked almost in every department of the National Union. I've been in the field organizing, negotiating contracts. And then uh, I had bigger ambitions, and I was successful in, uh, <laughs> in uh, attaining those. From Cleveland to, to, to the, the country, basically. That's right. I, I actually grew up in Dayton, Ohio, so my family's still there. D.C. Um, <laughs> back down here in D.C. too, as well. Um, but my family, my sister went to uh, the University of Michigan. Where I, I, That's I was, too bad. <laughs> I was born in Detroit, so I have Detroit sports loyalties, um, but I grew up in Ohio, proud to be no, from We Ohio, used to call Dayton D.C. That was Dayton City. Yeah. That's what we yep. used to call so. Dayton's an interesting place now too, and it's, uh, but my parents l still love it, and they uh, are retiring there. And um, uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I wish that they would go to you know have at least a, a, a you know separate place somewhere a little bit sunnier and less a cloudy. Bit warmer. Yeah, it's, oh, there's like less my, snow. Like my less snow. There's a no. lot of gray there. <laughs> Uh, we always would like to uh, get a different take on where our guests come from and also what they're interested in. Uh, and so anything that you could recommend, whether it be, you know, a book that you're reading, a uh, TV show, any interest particularly that your, your membership and our listeners would be fascinated by. Well, you know, once from Cleveland, always from Cleveland. Yep. So uh, I still follow uh, all of the sports teams. All no matter them. how bad they are <laughs> in Cleveland. Some highs, some lows so there. The, uh, the baseball team, uh, the football team, the basketball team, and they're pretty bad right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a sports fanatic, and that kind of uh, takes my mind off of uh, some of the things that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis with the union. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can take me out of Cleveland, but you can't take Cleveland out of me, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm a New York football Giants fan. So, oh, that's, uh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I have an ally here. <laughs> Danielle's office is right next to mine. Watch for the Browns next year. Watch for, watch out for them. Maybe, maybe in about two years. And New Orleans got ripped off, by the way. Oh, uh, can we just talk about that weekend. for a second? That I don't understand. Terrible. The ref literally was right there. What was he looking at? What he was, did he see? I think he was putting his sunglasses on or something. <laughs> in the dome. The, the dome <laughs> lights were too bright for him. That, no, I mean, that was terrible. There terrible needs call. to be replay for ex expanded replay. I mean, you can't have a decision like that be made to like, cost somebody I agree. a team. I agree. A as a Detroit Lions fan um, and a Detroit Pistons fan. Cool. Brutal. And a Detroit Tigers fan. <laughs> and Kurt, well, and you, I, I share your pain. It's tough, right? It's tough. Some of these Midwestern towns are having it tough sports-wise. Lee Saunders, thank you for joining us on Thinking Cap. Thanks for having me. Thinking Cap is produced and edited by Kyle Epstein. He also wrote our music. Rachel Rosen is our supervising producer. Chris Ford is our researcher. And Matt Ingram created our logo. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, and AmericanProgress.org.